What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith. He's Derek Terry. Getting two episodes from us today, Derek. I just published the Craig Skinner episode right before this, but we wanted to hop on here. Talk about the season, some season stats overall that you looked at last night, and the Kentucky football hires a running backs coach and uh, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio talked to Brian Askew, who is the father of Devin Askew, and from that message, it, Devin Askew is locked in for a sophomore season in Lexington. So the first domino kind of falls. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, yeah, like you said, Jack, reporting on this that uh, Askew's father saying he'll be back for a second year. Um, you know, I think I think like even Jack said, it was all expected. Um, he he has been adamant all along. Ask you that is that uh, the questions surrounding the West Coast kids who typically have left after one year, two years. In Jamal Baker's case, you know, he wasn't like that. He was here uh, for the long haul, and uh, sounds like he's following through on that. And um, it is good to have one domino fall in the backcourt because I mean, really, he might be the only. Besides Nolan Hickman coming in, he might be the only solidified guy at this point. We don't know what Mintz is going to do. We don't know what Boston or Clark, uh, what those guys will do. I'm forgetting anybody. Oh, Allen, Dante Allen. Yeah. I think it's assumed Dante will be back. Yeah, going. I actually talked to his family this morning, and uh, someone replied to me and was talking. He said he said he's getting his total game back. Should be fun next season. So I'm reading that as he's not going anywhere. I think yesterday was huge for him. I do too. Yeah, I don't see him going anywhere either. And, I've, and I have said that for me for the record. I've been saying that for weeks now that I didn't think. It was even prior to his game yesterday. But I told you last night, that one move that he had, uh, I think it might have been off a, off a curl. I can't remember. Maybe he caught on the wing and drove. I can't necessarily remember how he got to the lane, but he had the little floater that rolled in. And for a guy like Dante who, unless he – I don't see him ever being a crazy explosive guy near the rim – how much craftiness do you think he might be able to develop in his, I, I guess you could say mid-range, to, basically on his drives, how much craftiness do you think he will have to develop in his game to, to be effective as more than just a three-point shooter? That's the that's the biggest thing, right? And honestly, could be a benefit from being such a knockdown three-point shooter because everyone is flying at you. If you can make a play from 14, 15 feet, and you saw him do that twice yesterday, mm-hmm. the curl jumper and then the, the one where he felt contact. And finish. You also saw him get out, get out and transition off the steel, do some things that we hadn't got to see him do. But the thing that stood out to me the most about Dante yesterday was how hard he was cutting and how hard he was moving without the ball. I had never seen that from him. Uh, Cal even ran an out of bounds set to get him the first curl action off the pin down there that he got the first basket. Uh, I do think that that's going to be big for his game if he wants to play beyond Kentucky. 
But I think it's even bigger, Derek, that that is added to his offensive game to not that he's not shooting the ball from three-point range very well. How, how else can you impact the game offensively? Exactly. Yeah, he, he was he was very encouraging yesterday, uh, the things he was doing. And it makes you feel – I mean, hey, man, it's a, you know, I don't think under any scenario we anticipate or expect <laughs> – the, the Askew and Allen will be in the starting lineup next year. But if those are two of your bench options and you can get some guys in there, I mean, I, I think that's it's a better starting point, I would say, for sure, than what they had this season, at least for next year's roster, especially when you add in Chibwe and some of these other guys. Now, I don't know how quick um, some of these other people will – that's kind of the thing with UK basketball, right? Like, if this program – if, like, a Devin Askew was at – I don't know, just any random program. I don't know. We'll say South Carolina. <laughs> like, I don't think it's a story. No. You're, it's, you just anticipate that a freshman who didn't play all that great would be coming back, but I could totally understand it at UK with the turnover. Pretty much any guy who decides to come back, it's kind of worth its own story. So I don't know, like, the announcements or whatever. I'm sure there are guys we all expect to come back. There are guys we anticipate will leave. Um, but since we're already on the Dante Allen topic – I got some kind of stats that maybe people – I mean, it's – it's. I mean, you just have to go look at the stat sheet, but I don't know how many people yet. The season just ended yesterday, so – and some people might be horrified if they go look at the season stats, so maybe they won't do so. <laughs> but because of that three-point barrage that Dante Allen had yesterday, and he really did a lot of this damage in two games, if you can believe this, Sean, I told you this last night, Dante Allen for the season made 31 threes. Okay, he played 308 minutes. He made 31 threes. B.J. Boston played 755 minutes, hit 33s for the season. So my math told me last night, let me go back and look. Math says in 447 fewer minutes, Dante Allen made more threes, just one, but he made more than B.J. made the whole season. I, I think – we all knew BJ had a very difficult offensive year, but when you phrase it that way, man. Yeah. With, to go along with the minutes that he played. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he so he shot an, an even, you know, right at thirty percent. He went thirty for one hundred for the season from three and only shot thirty five percent overall. He tied Davion Mintz for the team lead in points with eleven point five. Uh, and also we were talking about asking earlier, Dante, if you look at his numbers, um, Dante made three more threes in two games. So he made 13 threes against Mississippi State. Well, Askew made 10 threes all of SEC play. <laughs> so Dante had his he, – he went to the slump. We all know he went to the slump. But that's that's kind of the makings of a guy who, who barely – I would say barely played this year, finishing second on your team in three-point shooting. That was uh, – and, and, again, he did a lot of that damage against Mississippi State in two games. His numbers were not as good outside of those games. But he still hit, what, 18 threes? Yeah which is more than Askew made the whole season. And it's not like Askew chucked up a ton. He only shot 54. Um, How many minutes did Askew play for the entire year? Yeah, so Askew finished uh, – he finished third on the team in minutes. So it went – Mintz played 769, Boston played 755, and then Askew played 722. Jeez. And after that, there's a pretty big drop-off. Saar, Saar was actually the only player to start every single game for Kentucky this year. I don't know if you knew that or not. I did not know uh, that. But he, he played 626, and after that, it's pretty – you know, there's some discrepancies after that. A little surprised. It was just, well, I shouldn't say that surprised because he had foul trouble a lot. But Isaiah Jackson, five twenty one. Did every player on the roster start a game this year? 
Every scholarship player, uh, yeah, yeah, every scholarship player started a game this year. That kind of shows you what type of year it was, right? That they just couldn't get any kind of rhythm and consistency with a lineup. I mean, I don't yeah. think I've ever seen that, Derek. So Dante and Cam both had one, and then Toppin yeah. only had the two at the end of the year. So yeah, but Ware had a few. And two with Toppin, doesn't that kind of show that Cal just never could get it figured out when it comes to what he wanted this year with this roster? He starts yeah. him, and then he played seven minutes yesterday. Like, I don't understand some of that. Uh, hopefully that gets kind of fixed going into next year. But Devin Askew, Dante Allen. Devin Askew played significantly more minutes than Dante Allen this season. You know who the more confident player is going into the summer, though? Dante. Dante yeah. Allen. For sure. And I think the only way this is big for Kentucky with Devin Askew coming back next season is if Devin Askew does two things. And somebody actually asked me this in reply to to my tweet. So I, I quote tweeted Jack's uh, story, and I said, Askew has always said that he's different. Experience is important. Carving at it, out a role as a, def- as a defender – and consistent shooter off the ball would be huge for him next season. And someone asked me, I keep reading this about a position role change for Devin Askew, and it feels like people trying to imprint this in Cal's mind. Where does this come from? Is it just because Cal dropped his minutes the last two games, or has Cal's staff said something about playing him out of position this year? My answer to that and to everyone listening is that I I have two eyes, and so does everyone else. And the struggle with Devin Askew this year, you cannot have a primary ball handler that cannot beat somebody off the bounce. That's all it comes down to. If he magically can do that, you leave him at point. And he can be somebody that could handle the point when you need him in a pinch. But, Derek, the only way this is big for Askew and Kentucky is if he becomes a consistent shooter from three-point range and a really, really good lockdown defender on the perimeter, which I think he could become. But it, but he can't he can't, he's not going to be a guy that's going to break it down and get to the rim and finish at the paint. That's not who he is. It's not who he's going to be. So don't come back and try to work on those things. Come back and work on the one to two things that make you a better player and a better guy on this team that can get minutes. I think depending on who Kentucky adds, Askew will end up in maybe the most interesting spot. Because think of it this way: if we're, and I think we both agree he's likely moving off the ball next year. He, he will play some point most likely whenever he will. Uh, the starter needs a spell. He'll go in there, and I think that's fine to have a guy like that to be your ball handler for as a backup point guard. I like that having a guy who played as much as he did this year. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's going to be bringing back what do we say, uh, 722 minutes, 28 minutes a game. But think about it this way, Sean. I guess I hadn't thought about it this way much until Dante's game yesterday, where he once again showed how hot he can get. If his job is to move off the ball and knock down shots, can he do that better than Dante Allen? Do you see him competing for minutes with Dante Allen? Is that how you view next year's? From what we know with the roster now, which is not a lot, but. I could see Dante sliding playing the threesome. Like, I think yesterday actually answered some things for me that if for some reason B.J. Boston isn't on this roster next year, like is it, it's a, which is a good possibility. Yeah, Dante has the length at his height, six 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 seven to move over and play the three. And, you know, I saw some things yesterday. Now, he made two critical mistakes late in the game that his really good offensive game is going to cover up where he did not talk and communicate on some of those stagger screens and and things like that that gave up two threes. But you can't – I mean, look, Dante was the reason they had a chance to win the game. Yeah. But some communication there. Now, obviously, he needs to improve defensively, but there were some plays that he made off instincts yesterday, Derek, that told me with – 
some offseason full of work, uh, some better agility, some quickness, some attention to detail, that Dante Allen's not going to end up being this just hold defensively that you just kind of keep looking at and he's getting abused. I think he could become a guy like, look, Derek Willis got to the point to where he could stay on the floor. Mm-hmm. If you can shoot the basketball and you just can get to a point to where you're just not a weakness defensively for 40 minutes, there's a spot to play. And I saw some things yesterday that make me think that Dante could – if he, that's what he needs to commit to, right, is that end of the floor. The shot's there. And then add some stuff to his offensive package. But if he does that, I, I think that Dante could be a big-time role, not just next year but moving forward in this program. I mean, you look at what he did this year just in the limited role. I kind of would have liked to have seen Cal kind of playing through some of the struggles. Yeah, he definitely – like I think the thing for him is becoming – and I think with Cal, too, I mean, I wonder if in a different program, and I'm not, this is not suggesting he needs to leave by any means. I'm just saying a freshman at a different program who shot 39% from three had a couple 20 point games. I'm just kind of wondering what people are saying about him going into the next season, you know? I feel like people would be very excited about a player like that. Um, whereas here, it seems like, I don't know. I don't. I, I do feel like maybe Cal was a, a little more critical of him than. It seemed like he was maybe quicker to criticize Dante's play versus someone like BJ. Cal, Cal was defending. Cal was defending himself. Yeah. And I don't think that was totally fair to Dante, but I think I think that's something both those guys can get past. It is. It would be crazy, I think, if you're Cal to look at what he did. I mean, yeah, he had the breakout game first time around against Mississippi State. Well, he came back and, and did it again. So maybe it, you know, it, maybe it was a pun. But you were right. Watching him yesterday come off those screens, I went back and watched some of the highlights. And uh, let me also say this too, from going back. And if you guys, I know some of you won't won't ever want to watch a game from this season again. I'm going to compliment BJ Boston. And I don't know what decision he's going to make. I don't know if he's going to leave. If he's going to stay, go back and watch yesterday him on the bench when Dante was making those shots. He was into the game. He was cheering for Dante. Harder than just about anybody on the, on that bench. He was. You can say it with BJ. Yeah, he he. This is not hyperbole. He had for a guy who shot a lot, played a lot. He had one of the worst offensive seasons we've probably seen <laughs> at UK. Finishing the year, you know, shooting thirty five percent, thirty percent from three. I mean, he shot a lot, and he only averaged eleven points. Like I get it. If you're if you weren't happy with the way he played this year, I don't think anybody was happy with his game. Think about this, though, Sean. He, he, all of his shots he took yesterday were within, I think, the first six minutes of the game. Yep. He didn't go back in when he went in. He wasn't forcing things when he did play after that. He was playing within the team. He had a couple assists to Dante. He grew throughout the season in, a, in his all-around game. He did. Kept cheering hard for his teammates. He was not someone who was pouting on the, on the bench yesterday when he hadn't scored. I mean, he was – He to me, he felt like a team guy. And I think some of those guys don't get the rep, that kind of rep, whenever, you know, he came in with the expectation of being one and done. He might still be a one and done. We'll have to see. That was something that stuck out to me yesterday. And I also want to say this about BJ's all-around game. He was fourth on the team in rebounding, and he led the team in steals, which might be a surprise to people. I don't know if it will be or not, but he had 33 steals, and the next closest was 25 with Mintz. I'd love to see All him. around, he did fine, I would say. I'd love and, to see him in a Kentucky jersey again. Yeah. Would love to. Sure. I just I – just because I think that I do think his best basketball is coming at some point. I mean, obviously it is for all these guys you'd think, but like you mentioned, the energy on the bench, I noticed that too. You could see it in the top right left-hand corner of the screen 
And two, when Lance Ware made the play diving on the floor and got a hand on that loose ball that then went off a Mississippi State player, Ware was walking down the floor, and BJ's in the middle. He's, he grabbed two guys, Derek. He grabbed a guy on his right and a guy on his left and pulled them in a huddle with four and a half to play in the game. Hadn't scored a basket. And that was the growth that you're talking about, those things. Uh, and that's why I think, who knows, maybe – Maybe we're off on like maybe we're off on this. Maybe this isn't going to be a tough decision for him. We don't know. Maybe he already made up his mind, Eric, that he wanted yeah. to come that he's wanting to come back. We don't know that. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see how this plays out. I mean, obviously, Cal will sit down sometime probably next week and start decisions. That's the thing, right? They're going to get they're doing that sooner than they've ever done it. Probably even sooner than last season because they probably I think they sent them all home right before they even talked. Yeah, yeah I believe so. So you don't know what the time frame is going to be. I mean, obviously, Devin Askew and those guys kind of – it was either – Devin's decision was an NBA. It was either is Kentucky where I need to be. And he's decided, according to Brian, that that's where he wants to be. I mean, that's the thing. Like, Devin couldn't have said all this, that he's not going to run from it and he's different and then leave, right? He said it all – he said it since he was on an interview with me last year in the spring mm-hmm. that he's different. So I kind of – Honestly expected him to be at Kentucky again, but we'll have to wait and see how this this roster shakes out. There's still a lot of things and a lot of pieces that that need to fall into place. Uh, I think obviously the one guy we do know for sure is leaving to be Isaiah Jackson. I just don't see it, Derek. Uh, with Damian Collins coming in, Jackson's going to be a lottery pick. Um, there's some important decisions though. Davion Mintz went to social media yesterday and pretty much think Kentucky fans. Which if you're just going off of that. You think probably not another year of Davion Mintz, but I think Davion Mintz was just doing what Davion Mintz does. And in that moment, he hasn't made a decision yet. He was thanking Kentucky fans for the support. That's a guy you want on your roster next year too, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you need that. You'd like that kind of experience. I mean, he he would benefit, I think, coming – well, I don't know that his professional aspirations would benefit for another year. So I think it – Matter of fact, it probably wouldn't help to be another year older, but he's not an NBA player. I think he knows he's not an NBA player. So the way I would see it, and I, mean, I don't know, I don't know if this is how he views it, but if you are just a year away from your Masters, I think whatever league he's going to go be playing in after he's on playing college ball will still be there for him after this year. I think he has more reasons to come back than not. But again, I mean, he's already been in college five years. He might just be ready to move on to the next phase of his life, which I wouldn't blame him at all. Uh, if that's where he is. But in terms of um, – he would be a guy that I don't see. Would Davion play 30 minutes next year, you think? I don't know. I think it would be close. Don't you? I don't see is, him. Is B.J. Boston not on the roster or is he on the roster? What's... Mm, you can answer either or. If they, if they get a couple of guys – if they get a guy from the portal and then Hickman ends up being pretty good, I could see Mintz minutes going down to 24, 25. But – then again, if you need him, you know he can go 37, 38, 39 like he did a lot of times this year. Uh, at one point, Derek, I thought it was a bad thing that Davion Mintz would, could possibly come back and be in the starting lineup. Now I don't think it's a, a bad thing at all. I think he is a very solid starting posi- starting player at Kentucky. But if you need him to come off the bench and he's he's okay with that, I think that's when Kentucky's roster, I'd feel much better about it next year, is if you could get Davion Mintz to a six, seven-man spot. 
you know, make of this what you will. Um, Kentucky is on record, I would say, by, yeah, by Justin. I mean, he's, he's on record has said that Kentucky has contacted him. It was reported yesterday that Kentucky has contacted, uh, I believe it's Ty Ty Washington, who just decommitted from Creighton. He's actually ranked one spot higher um, than Nolan Hickman. So that's another point guard. Do you read into that as to thinking, like, there's no way they're going to next season with Ty Ty Washington, Nolan Hickman, Davion Mintz, and Devin Askew all there, right? Do you think they would go with that many guards? That would be primarily a one. I'm honestly a little surprised that maybe they would even go after Washington. I think that's his name. Uh, that's right. Yeah, that's about, also where you might want to take that worth a grain of salt is I'm sure Cal is you in this thing is I need to try to get as many good players as possible yeah. and let let the rest work itself out. Yeah, which could be the plan. Options, right? You want options. Um, should be noted too that Keon Brooks' father came out yesterday and shot down transfer rumors as well. But yeah, I still want to see how this all plays out. I do too. Yeah, I, I want to. Yeah, there have been some rumors um, with some guys who uh, supposedly maybe even had their parents or whoever filling around. But right now, I mean, everyone's on record saying, you know, that none of that stuff's true. Uh, we'll see. And it's interesting with Keon. I mean, we just, you know, we talked about it the other day in our scenario thing. Like, a lot of guys just don't stay for more than two years at Kentucky. And he would be a rarity. If he did, Nick Richards came back for junior year uh, as a five-star, but their Poitras did, but there haven't been many others. He'd definitely be in the minority if he uh, chose to do that. But this this does have the feeling, though, Sean, for, for sure, that there is a uh, a lot um, to be decided yeah. in the next few months. Yeah, there's going to be a lot to unpack over the next few weeks and in, into April and probably even May, honestly. Uh, but – that pretty much covers everything on the basketball front today. Moving to the football side of things, Kentucky has their second running backs coach in the matter of what, six weeks? Something like that, yeah. John John Settle. Uh, it's been reported that John Settle, Wisconsin's running back coach, who has coached Jonathan Taylor. Uh, he coached some other good backs. He's he, Similar to Singleton, he's been back in college. Uh, Singleton, of course, came straight from the NFL the, the few weeks he was here. But uh, John Settle has spent time in the NFL, but he's, he's had two stints at uh, at Wisconsin. So you're talking about hiring a Power 5 coach, and, you know, when you think about Wisconsin, you probably think about offensive linemen more than anything, but you think about a strong running game, right? So I think he will fit in um, with that. He was, you know, in the NFL shot, and he was an all-pro running back. So this is a guy who I think has instant credibility um, and someone that uh, – Given the circumstances, when you lost your running back coach unexpectedly, I think Mark Soups has made a pretty good hire here. Yeah, yeah. And one that he shouldn't lose. He should at least get a season in at Kentucky. I don't think you're in a position to lose him to an NFL franchise or another college or anything like that. So, yeah, big news for the Kentucky football program. Derek, I'm assuming here in the next bit we'll probably have a, a Zoom press conference with him at some point to introduce him. Maybe that's a guy we can reach out and get on the pod too. We're going to have an episode coming with Liam Cohen. Uh, probably on Monday is what I'm guessing with Cohen, maybe before, depending on whenever we migrate over to Blue Wire Pods. Which should potentially happen, should happen this weekend, right? Yes. Yeah, we have a meeting actually this evening. So 
we'll do that meeting. I, I announced that on the Craig Skinner podcast, but we okay. got a lot of cool content coming up. Um, some more on the running back settles coached uh, some some guys who I think people will know. His first stint at Wisconsin, which was from 20, uh, 2006 to 2010, uh, Monty Ball was the second-round pick back then, and then James White, who actually uh, – I'm not sure I'm real familiar with James White, but he was a fourth-round pick. But in the NFL, after that, he went to the Panthers for two years. Uh, he coached D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart. Then he went to the Browns for a year. And in 2014, he coached James Conner, who, of course, is a running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then, uh, obviously, the real big one, or who I think uh, – I couldn't quit this guy this year in fantasy football. He let me down a little bit, but he ended up having a really strong finish was Jonathan Taylor with the Colts. I think he's had a big future, and he was uh, in college. I mean, I think Jonathan Taylor was a very big name um, in college football. So he's got some good credentials, Sean. And, he does. Uh, he'll be able to come here, and he'll have those guys from his past, and I think Chris Rodriguez uh, will be a draft pick too one day, so he'll be able to add that to his resume. So uh, His recruiting, I went and looked up. Not – not someone who I would say has, has tore it up as a recruiter if you go off the guys he's credited with signing. But here in 2020, uh, so, so two cycles ago, he did land a four-star running back named Jalen Berger from uh, Don Don how, Bosco Prep in New Jersey. So, How big is it that the one thing that's happened in all the recent hires with Mark Stoops has been NFL experience? How big do you think that is when it comes to a Liam Cohen, a Brad White, and, and now this 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 hire too. When it comes to you're in front of guys who have aspirations of getting to where the NFL, okay. and you have people who know what it takes to get to the NFL. They see the characteristics that players have had at both the college game and the NFL. How big do you think that is? Not just for your program development too, Derek, but when you go into the home here pretty soon when in-person recruiting returns at some point. And you have the NFL pedigree to go along with the collegiate pedigree as well, and you understand recruiting probably even more so. It's got to help. I mean, if you're being recruited by a guy who's coached Jonathan Taylor, Monty Ball, James Conner, and then just been in the NFL for three years, it looks like he spent in the NFL um, and and also played in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's that's a guy who knows what he's talking about when he's recruiting you, and he's a guy who's proven he can help get kids to the next level. Uh, but but again, Eddie Grant never had those kind of credentials yet. He his his whole career was based off you know coaching some very good running backs and a good job with those guys. Um, but for Settle, yeah, and especially if he's just if he's going to be the kind of guy too who is uh, only recruiting running backs, which I think is might be the plan for him, then uh, it's got to help. And and I don't really know yet what areas he'll recruit or if he'll just grow wherever, but. What do you think about the timing of this thing, though? When he when he thought you had Jamal Singleton and he unexpectedly leaves, it's a pretty good it's a pretty good pretty good job to be able to go out and get a Power Five coach from another school to come in here and and it's a position coach, so like you know, at least for me personally, I never expect more than more than a year or two for for most position coaches. There are some exceptions, of course. You know, Vince Merrill's been here what? Nine years now, as long as Stoops has. And he's had his title change. It's not like he's just some normal position coach. He's He's got a lot of titles, but it's good. I think this is a good hire and looking forward to hearing what he has to say. And he's, he is someone, unlike Jamal Singleton, who said that he uh, he was a better fit for the college game. Settle's actually proven that by uh, staying here for <laughs> – staying in the college game since 2015 now, I believe. So. 
So we get higher. And I don't, I don't know why. I think he's 55 years old, something like that. Um, never coached in the SEC, I don't think. But it's a chance for him to to move on from Wisconsin and, and kind of prove himself somewhere else. So a solid hire, I think. And I don't. What I don't know, maybe you know this. I've not read. Is is there any kind of connection between Liam and? Probably not. He's not been in the NFL since before Liam even got there. So yeah, probably not too much connection. But I haven't read that. Uh, also, what does what does this upcoming draft with Jamin Davis and all the buzz that we're hearing and Kelvin Joseph, what does that do for your, for your program when it comes to uh, recruiting the next couple of years? I mean, especially you talk about a development piece like Jamin Davis, similar to Josh Allen, and then you go get a, a transfer like Kelvin Joseph. And then a year later, he's in the league. I mean, what's that do for, for recruiting? Well, I mean, Kentucky football is already recruiting uh, the way that, Derek, I don't think any of us 10 years ago ever would have thought we'd see what Kentucky's doing right now in recruiting. But when you add these success stories to it, what does that do? I think it already helped with Trevin Wallace. Um, and that was before I think Jamin was even kind of viewed as as what he is now. I mean, no one was talking about Jamin as Rookie of the Year <laughs> back whenever Wallace committed like they are now. Um, but, no, it's got to help. I mean, there was kind of that – I wouldn't say stigma, but, I mean, Stoops had been here, what, three or four years, and they had, what, back-to-back drafts. They didn't have a single kid get picked. And now you look at this roster and you you can go up and down no matter the class and say, hey, this, this guy's probably a future draft pick. I mean, this class alone, this draft class, we know 100% for sure that Kelvin Joseph, Jamin Davis are going to be draft picks. Very, very, very likely that Drake Jackson will be picked. Landon Young stands a pretty good chance to be picked. Quentin Bohanna stands a pretty good chance, I would say, to get picked. And then you could have guys like Boogie Watson, um, Brandon Eccles, probably some guys I'm forgetting, um, who also stand a pretty good chance to to get drafted. So that's good. I mean, it shows that it can happen, uh, that you can come to Kentucky, you can develop, you you don't have to be the highest ranked guy. I mean, it's the, you're right on Jamin Davis. That, that's two uh, – if he goes in the first round, that's two guys who were not heralded recruits by any means – who came to Kentucky, bided their time, developed, and had since gone on to the NFL. That's got to help your recruiting. Oh, I yeah. mean, but but here's the thing: if you're if you're recruiting the right kind of players, if you're swimming in the right waters and recruiting, everybody else can sell that too. You want to be recruiting against the schools that also produce the draft picks, so it's going to come down to some other things. But that that's, that is the very least a thing that can that UK cannot be knocked on because they can they can produce pros too, and they've shown that. And um, this this deep into the stoops here, I don't see that changing. I think they're going to keep producing draft picks. I mean, you're already looking at Darren Kennard as a potential first-rounder next year. And that's not, you know, maybe Josh Ali gets picked. It's just you can go up and down this roster and see Wondell. guys who – Wondell. yeah, who have Yusuf Corker, guys like that, who have potential um, draft uh, draftability, I guess is the word I'll use one day. So that's a good point I think you bring up. Yeah, the one thing you do want to see this program get to is the point to where they put quarterbacks – in the NFL, and if they get to that point, look out. Uh, but one thing's for sure, Derek, whenever we play that NCAA football game, if Kentucky is indeed on it, the pro potential, when you if you start Kentucky as a dynasty, it certainly won't be what it was uh, in 2012-2013. But speaking of, whenever that starts, we'll do – if whenever that game comes out, we will have a special edition of this podcast to talk about it. Some people have asked me if we could do an online dynasty league through Kentucky Daily. Absolutely. <laughs> Some way, right? Yeah, I would love that. 
Probably be but, in so many leagues, won't be able to keep up with them all. That's true. I probably won't. I probably lose my job, honestly, from playing the game so much. But uh, Derek, we wanted to hop on here and record. This will be our probably our last episode. It's just an independent pod. Like we're going to transition to Blue Wire Pods. Like we said, nothing's going to change about this podcast. Uh, you'll hear an ad at the opening, and then you'll hear some stuff throughout. There'll be some live reads, but as far as content. Nothing will change. We will keep churning out and delivering content to you. That's the most important thing about this podcast. Uh, we get it out to you in a manner I think that's more efficient and quicker than anyone else gets it out in any platform. I think that we're always, when things break, Derek's texting, I'm texting, hey, you, know, you got a few minutes, we're going to record. Uh, we appreciate all of you listeners. This will be, I think, episode 150, if I'm not mistaken, episode 150 of this podcast, Derek. It's crazy to think that we've got to this point. Uh, but big things are coming. Blue Wire Pods, we're excited. Can't wait to be there. Hopefully starting next week with a podcast interview with Kentucky Offensive Coordinator Liam Cohen. And then going from there, we'll uh, navigate this Kentucky basketball offseason. Just uh, jump on board with us, and we'll uh, we'll cruise right through it, and we'll see what happens. I uh, want to give a shout-out to the Butcher's Pub. I think they've been with us, Derek, now for almost – has it been every episode, almost every episode? Almost every episode, yes. yeah. Really it's nuts. Uh, two locations, one in Palmville, one in Williamsburg, and then uh, I think next week, if I'm not mistaken, is when they're going to open the location in London. I'll confirm that, but I think I read that right on one of the Facebook pages this morning. You can visit thebutcherspub.com. Check them out on Facebook. If you if you missed the episode with Craig Skinner, it was posted Friday morning as well, episode 149. Listen to that one. It's a short 13 to 15 minute episode. Really good interview with a with a man who is leading probably the most dominant program i mean one of the most dominant programs on this on that campus uh been i mean took over kentucky when they were last place in the sec Derek. we talked about that uh, we talked about the senior class they're honoring this weekend uh so you know give some give some attention to the uk volleyball program and stuff and obviously chris Scholes is the sid i talked to him about that yesterday he's got two undefeated programs right now that he's the sid of so whatever he's doing Derek, i think every other uk program might, yeah. might want to talk to Scholes and see what's going on but he's Derek terry i'm sean smith we'll catch you next time on kentucky daily Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.